When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Now 3-3 Flyers and Senators. Seven and a half minutes left in the second period. Capitals up 1-0 on Vegas. Second period about to begin. Kuznetsov has his third of the season. Coyotes and Ducks will start in about an hour. Oilers at Bruins tomorrow. 3.30 face-off show. Here on 6.30, Ched, the game will start at 5. We have a double header of live sports on Ched on Saturday, 9.30 in the morning for the face-off show. Oilers and Rangers at 11. At 2.30, we'll punt it over to Dave and Morley on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium for the countdown to kick off for the 3 o'clock game between the Edmonton Eskimos and the Ottawa Red Blacks. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Very special guest in studio. Dave Campbell has called you the Edmonton Eskimos stats guru. It is Brian Desjardins. Brian, thanks for coming in. It's my pleasure to be here. Now, do you have an actual job title, or does it say guru on your business cards? Well, I try to pass <laughs> guru off, but a lot of people look at me and, no, more like sumo instead of guru. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, you are a great follow on Twitter. I, I, I'm surprised you don't have way more followers. This number should be higher. Higher. Uh, simply Uncle BD, capital B, capital D, uh, on Twitter. If people want to look that out, I, I've tweeted it out through my uh, account. But you are always uh, firing stuff out, uh, stats-related stuff, to the Edmonton Eskimos. And I've, I've found it very valuable and, uh, and very interesting. How long have you been doing this, first of all? Well, I've been doing, I like to say I've been doing football all my life because it's, it's, it's one of those lifelong passions. But uh, doing stats basically since 1993, so this is, what, 26 years? Hopefully my math is right. I missed a statistician, by the way. So right now, th- now this, <laughs> this this sounds pretty cool. I mean, I'm sure people are thinking. Now this is not your full time job. No, it's not but, my full time job. But it is. It is your gig. It is. Uh, uh, so a lot of people are probably thinking like. How do you possibly stumble into that? Because if you're a sports fan, you, you like stats at least a little bit. So how do you possibly get paid to do this? Well, <laughs> it's funny you mention that because, again, it's, it's you literally stumble into it. And uh, the way I got into it is I was still in university. I went over to a buddy's place to actually work on resumes and stuff like that. And uh, he was staying with his aunt and uncle, and uh, they invited me to stay over for uh, for dinner. and. Uh, his his uncle was a great, great Eskimo fan, and he was telling stories, and I kept correcting him and kept correcting him. And then my buddy finally kicked me under the table and said, you know, Uncle Bill used to be the president of the Eskimos. So uh, he thought I was, I knew my stuff. So uh, I had a resume on hand, luckily, you know, gave it to him, and he passed it on to Hugh Campbell, and he passed it on to their stats guy at the time, and... Uh, 
that's how that's how the ball got rolling. All right. Well, this this is this is fascinating stuff. Um, so. Now, you, you keep track of stuff for the CFL and for the Eskimos. Is yeah, that so I have like two positions. Uh, since 1993, I've been part of the CFL stats crew. So uh, we're a group of, uh, of people who document the game play-by-play play as it goes on through the game. And uh, about ni- uh, 2000, 2001, end of 2000, I was approached by the Eskimos to uh, write up their game day reports before every game okay. and, uh, you know, help update their media guide at that point and up, make sure their records are up to date and all that. So uh, that's how I got into it about two th- end of 2000, start of 2001 season. Alright, so th- I, I would, would this be where you have to obviously track what is happening in, in the game but for milestones and and records, you gotta you gotta know that before the game. You can't be oh, mid game yeah. thinking, oh gee, I wonder if that's a record or something. You gotta know. So over the yeah, over the years, you develop from what you start from what you know, and from there you build your own data sets. Uh, I've had queries from other people, and mostly it's my own curiosity where I develop data sets and start looking into things. Uh, there's one data set I haven't even even brought out yet, but I've always wondered about. They, they've always said never lose two games in a row. So you start investigating coaches and which coaches were the best at not losing two games in a row. And no surprise, it's Ron Lancaster with the Eskimos. So I parlayed that to start looking at the Oilers stuff, but that's, <laughs> again, that's Oilers stuff. So, All right, so, so you got to find little things that you think might be interesting, and then you give that to the league, and they may or may not pass it on to the media. Exactly. Or, or you have a relationship with Dave and Morley, and oh, they yeah. may ask you for stuff, right? Oh, they, they ask me for stuff or ask me to confirm things or... Um, they they recall something, and it's my job to go find out what exact date it was, or what exact season it was, or what the circumstances were. And I always get in, in well varying questions about uh, you know all about more around timing of when things happened, and oh, I recall this, or I recall that, or do you recall this? Right. So again, I pull back my memory and, and try figure things out. But uh, the key things to doing that is. I don't necessarily have to know it. I just got to know where to find it. So right. I have... Okay. I have, Oh, yeah. So how do you do this? Is this computer? Do you have ledgers, like so, thousands of books? <laughs> so I have I have uh, media guides. I have uh, facts and figure record books. I have uh, emails that I've sent to and from the CFL over the years. I've got a whole bunch of spreadsheets on my uh, computer. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an accumulation of all that. And again... I, I tried to start remembering all this. Uh, you know, Bob Stoffer is great at remembering everything. I don't know how he does it, but I can't do that. So it's a matter of where did I put this and how, where can so I So what do you it? bring to a game? Is everything on a computer everything, that you can Everything you can I have is, is on a computer, yeah. Okay. So if you can search for something, if, if something unusual Oh, yeah. Happens. During a game, if something goes on or uh, something, you know, sparks something and, and you know, hit brings a, a, a you know sparkle to my eye something that you know just seems out of the ordinary I can go quickly research it after the game and the last two games are perfect examples right the last two home games you know with only scoring three points well that's that's a that's a rare occurrence and quickly looking it was you know only 30 times in yeah. 1176 I, I've games I've yeah. used that yeah you know that they've scored you know three or, or less points and then even the game before that against Calgary that was the highest scoring game between a you know Edmonton and a, and a Calgary uh, football team ever, 
right? Like total 90 points. points total yeah. points. It's like you witness history back in back-to-back home games here. One for the you know the good, one for not so good. But again, when it when something like that occurs, it it you know. You're witnessing history, and that's why I always tell people, go to a game because you're going to probably see history at some point or another. So during a game, are you logging each play? Like what will be a a game day operation for you? Oh, yeah. So uh, there's a crew of us. There's six of us who take care of uh, the CFL stat site. And then we have two other folks who take care of the stat scoreboards at the south end of the uh, stadium. So they're, they're keeping track following what we're doing. But essentially, we document every play, and there's 20 to 30 pieces of information per play that has to happen and going into, right. uh, uh, into a and system. And people can follow that because there is a exactly. play-by-play game log on the CFL website that's yep. live, and I often refer to it the day after game when I want to check where exactly were they on the field, what, you know, what was the game, what was the penalty. Yeah. So that's and, that's part of your job. And that's how the, the CFL has transitioned from being an old uh, paper and pen type of setup, and now we're... To the second, basically. So right. It, it's a fantastic setup, and it, it helps us be more informative to, to the casual folk, it, to the diehard football fan, and again, for the media as well. It, it, it's an all-encompassing source. So. Okay, I got a question for you. Okay. So I run the ball. Scrimmage line is the my own 10, and I am obviously tackled on past the 13, but not to the 14. And that's the only carry I get in the game. Do I have one rush for three yards or one rush for four yards? Depends where that back white uh, stripe of the ball is. Really? That's how well, you do it? That, that's a rule of thumb. Okay. And uh, again, you got to be careful what part of field you're doing that. Because let's say, same situation, except you're on the opponent's 12-yard line. You need two yards for a first down. Is it beyond the 10 and it'll be first and essentially goal after that or is it just short of the 10 where you can technically still get a first down right. but not score so you got to pay attention to what part of the field you are and then it's mostly in and around the end zones right but there's a rule of thumb that you know give give the benefit of the doubt to the runner or to the return to the offense okay. just just to give them you know just to be consistent. Brian Desjardins is uh, in studio, as he's been telling you, 26 seasons uh, doing stats for the CFL for the Eskimos. I challenged him. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With a couple of tidbits of information this morning, he will have the answers. I'm pretty sure... This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. All right, uh, now 4-3 Philadelphia leading Ottawa in NHL action. We'll keep you updated on that one. Oilers at Boston tomorrow. Face-off show at 3.30, game at 5 here on 630 Chet. My name is Reed Wilkins, joined in studio by uh, Brian Desjardins. Get him on Twitter, at UncleBD, especially if you like numbers and information about the Edmonton Eskimos. You've been doing stats for uh, over a quarter century. Has this changed the way you observe a football game, Brian? 
Oh, it definitely has changed the way I watch football. It, uh, I, I, I can almost guarantee any statistician you talk to, doing this job has you know wrecked the way you watch it, <laughs> wrecked the enjoyment of it. So, one of the big things I have uh, issues with are these camera guys who like to get these close-ups on players, but show me the ball, show me the ball, show me the line. You know, that's that's what I do, right? I want to see where the ball's positioned, where is it going, and how they're lined up. There might be a clue on where it's going to go, but no. And you were telling me during the break there are six statisticians per CFL game. Yep. In, uh, per crew, there's, there's we have the option of going from five to six guys. Some guys do it. Uh, some cities do it with five guys. Okay. But we do it with six here because we have the, the room and the space to do it. And uh, we, we've had a core group of uh, guys who've been together for, for decades all right, I can tell you, because obviously I was tracking it on, on Monday, that the Eskimos have gone uh, just over 140 minutes since their last touchdown. It's about nine and a third quarters. Yep. You probably have the exact time. Yep, 139.33. Oh, it's 139.33, so I was actually wrong. I thought it was a little over 140 yeah, minutes. Uh, 139.33 since the Eskimos last scored a touchdown. By yep. any chance, do you know the longest touchdown drought in Eskimos history? So i got to preface this answer because my data goes back to 1999. Okay. So that, that's what I've been uh, archiving. And so, yes, there's been a time uh, in 2011, uh, there was 177 minutes and 47 seconds between touchdowns. Wow. So they went two full games without a touchdown, and uh, it was the end of the first or the beginning of the first quarter of one game, and the last game was uh, in the second quarter. So amazing, hundred and seven. So that's almost three full. Almost games. Almost three full, three full games. games. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're getting close, but not not quite. So we need a touchdown in the first thirty-eight minutes of the game against Ottawa. You bet. Yeah. By halftime for sure. By halftime, and we're safe. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Well, hopefully that does not become, man, twenty eleven. Yeah, makes you think, doesn't it? Uh, was that did Ray get traded after that? No, he Ray was still here. Ray was still here. Yep. Man, that's awful. Okay, <laughs> all right. So there you go, everybody. It's bad, but it's not. It's not even the worst this century. So worst all time, we're not sure. No, I'm sure some of those 1960s teams were there were, and, were were horrible. So. Yeah, and they had the odd six four game back in in that era too. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. The other thing I wanted to know was, are we in the middle of the longest drought between kick returns? Because we haven't had one since Ken Dial got that, one in 2015. That, as far as I can see back to 1999, that's true. So the big, well, and I got to preface that too. So again, you just left it open-ended. Was it a punt return, kick return, or a I missed field say, goal, yes, right? that's right. So yeah, there's, there's, there's that. And you didn't exactly ask me how you wanted to see that in terms of number of games, but I went by the number of days. So yeah, so the last time we've seen a kicked, uh, kick return for a touchdown was 1,139 days as of today. 11, uh, so was it in 2015? Yeah. It was, yep. And that was Lawrence, right? Yep, August, 5th, uh, August 28th. 2015. So, so that's the longest drought since 99, since you yep. have the, the record. The previous uh, number was 1,004 days. So, yeah, just uh, just, just <laughs> oh, over three okay. years, right? There you go, everybody. Uh, a lot of criticisms of the special teams and the offense. So now, now we know that it's definitely appropriate. Uh, so when you're – I mean, and again, your Twitter account is awesome. Uh, like, you, like you said, the three points or less you had out there, guys passing – 
milestones. Um, so will you you'll note all that before the game for yourself, where it's like watch for this, watch for this guy's stat, whatever. Yep. After uh, every game is played, I input that data from that game into to all my different data sheets that I have, and then I produce a portion what I call the Eskimo portion inside the numbers that I provide to the league to include in the game notes package. And from that, I tweet out, you know, some of the things that just may interest Eskimo fans. Okay. And some of the great ones this week, again, Calvin McCarty is going to move, he's going to be tied for ninth on the all-time, you know, games list here as as an Eskimo, right? Next week, he's going to tie Bill Stevens, or Heck Pache for eighth, you know, in in, in that regard. Uh, You look at some of the, like Brian Mitchell, he went over a thousand yards as an Eskimo receiver. You look at Mike Riley, he's got what three hundred ninety-five yards for five thousand this year. And again, it it helps form stories. It helps form history. And again, when you go in, when you're going to a game, it's something to look forward to. It may not be the focus of the game. You want to see them win ultimately. But again, when you get to see something special, be part of something special, it it, it you can take it away as a memory. Yeah. That's awesome. Well yep. said. Well said for sure. Um, now you sit in the, the press box or in the Bryan Hall Media Center. Pardon in me. the Bryan Hall Media Center, yep. <laughs> and what is your view like of the game? It's horrible. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I sit. I sit. We gotta, we gotta work on that. I sit in the second row of uh, in, in the press box in the corner in a dark corner. They actually improved the lighting this year, so I can actually read my uh, my writing on my paper. But uh, yeah, I'm sitting in the second row. I think. Last game, I tweeted out my view, and literally I see about 35 yards, maybe 30 yards of the field. So you're at the game, but you're watching most of it on TV. I'm mostly, yeah, I'm watching the the, the either the in stadium feed or the TSN feed on a on a <laughs> on a TV on the wall. So, uh, but again, that's not what we do. We our job is to stay focused, play by play, and as a part of our crew, I have my function to do and. Uh, as a crew, we get it done. Okay, so you told how you got into this. How would somebody break into this now if they wanted to start doing this at games? Again, you have to be a very special person in terms of you got to love the game. Uh, you have to have a really good understanding of what's going on on the field, uh, understanding certain moments on the field in, in terms of, you know, it's a hurry-up offense. you got to be sharp. Right. you got to be split. you got to... But again, this is such a tough group to break into because uh, I think we talked during the break. We have guys doing this for decades. Like, I'm in my 26th year. Uh, we have another gentleman, Gary Tomic. He's in his 29th year. We had two guys retire last year who were in 30 years and 23 years or something like that. Um, and it you know, this year's a Grey Cup year for us. And the last time the Grey Cup was held here, uh, we had two of our members uh, recognized by the CFL, and they were here, you know, for the longest time. And but since that time, they've passed away. Oh, this no. is this is not something that you know guys come and go. Right. You know, this is this is a passion that we all enjoy. And you know, like I said, it's decades, not I, just years or games. I got to throw one more at you. Sure, Kellen. We'll have to bump some some breaks to after the news. Uh, you got married. I, I, on the field? What's the story? No, I got, there's a picture of you on the field. There's with, a picture with your of me on the field. Yeah, we got married August twentieth, uh, two thousand and five. Um, that was the day the Toronto Argonauts were in town playing them to Eskimos. It was the second game that I missed 
since I started uh, joining with the crew here. Okay. And um, we, well, I knew enough people where we got to take our entire uh, uh, group onto the field before the game and had a great, you know, picture session out in the field. And I think we had, what, seven, eight groomsmen and bridesmaids, you know, so, and our parents were out there and uh, we were fortunate enough to take a whole bunch of pictures and uh, unfortunately for, for me, that was the day Ricky Ray sets records for attempts and completions and, uh, you know, it was... Team records. Team records. For the game because they lost to Toronto. They did. They threw, what, to 60 Damon passes Allen. or something like that? Yeah, and lost to Damon Allen and the Toronto Argonauts and, uh, and I couldn't really sneak away to watch it because even if I did get to watch <laughs> <laughs> there was no announcers for that game, and Al Stafford got to be on them. Well, know. that was when CBC was on CBC strike. CBC yeah. was on okay, strike. So, that. yeah, it's a very unique game, and it was, again, it, it'll, well, the day will definitely live with me forever, but I just, I always, yeah, if you look at my Twitter feed, that's the picture yep. uh, from that day, so. Brian, thanks for coming in. Uh, really cool story, and thanks for giving us a behind-the-scenes look at how the stats are recorded and what you do for every Eskimos game. Brian Desjardins, Uncle BD on Twitter. Definitely worth a follow. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Brian Desjardins in studio, longtime statistician over a quarter century at Eskimos Games. Murr, the Stamps guy, says, awesome interview, Reed. That would be the kind of guy you would want to pick his brain in the bar all night. <laughs> there we go. Uh, you can text 630-630. Oilers and Bruins coming up tomorrow. We'll have an Eskimos-Oilers doubleheader for you on Saturday. Well, not in that order. Oilers first and then Eskimos uh, starting at 9.30 in the morning. Oilers game at 11 and uh, then the Eskimos game against the Red Blacks coming up at 3. Uh, pleased to welcome back to Inside Sports, former goaltender for the Edmonton Oilers, it is Andy Moog. Andy, how are you doing? Uh, very good, thank you. Yeah, always great to have you on the show. Uh, I know I got to see you at uh, the, the greatest team event last year, so that was pretty cool and, uh, and I know you keep following the Oilers in the NHL and uh, Oilers in Boston come up tomorrow Andy obviously you got to play uh, for both these teams for big chunks of uh, of your careers you enjoyed some success with the Oilers you were on some pretty good Boston teams as well going to the going to the Stanley Cup finals uh, showdowns with the Montreal Canadiens was that was that pretty interesting for you playing in uh, you know obviously a rabid Canadian market plus you got the the chance to play in an original six city as well yeah, I think I think the the interesting part about the early days in Edmonton was, uh, and and people may may have forgotten this, we were the uh, we were the second class team back in the early '80s in Edmonton. The uh, the uh, stars of the city were the Eskimos and uh, Warren Moon and and Grey Cup after Grey Cup, Dan Kepley and Dave Cutler. We were we sort of snuck around town behind those guys. Uh, it changed eventually, but yeah, that was uh, that was a fun time to be an Edmonton Oiler for sure. And uh, getting to Boston, I think the one thing that that sticks out uh, for me being an original six team is is you you have a function or event away from the game. And uh, there's 30 or 40 Bruin alumni that show up at the event, and it's like a childhood dream. Oh, there goes Johnny Busick. Here comes Johnny McKenzie. Oh, there's Jerry Cheevers. 
I mean, it's just uh, it's just nuts, and you you can't get get your head around it to be honest. But uh, that was really fun part about being a, a Bruin and being an original sixteen. You know, obviously the the New England Patriots have been pretty much twenty years. They, they've been a, a, a really good team. Um, I mean, they weren't that good a lot of the time in the late eighties and early nineties. What what do you remember about the the landscape and uh, which of the teams got most of the attention? Because obviously it's all four pro sports and, and a lot of NCAA interest as well. Yeah, there's no question about that. Uh, so basically, when I arrived in the in the late eighties. It was at the tail end of Larry Bird's Boston Celtics era. Uh, they're still a great club, but they weren't winning a, or championship caliber as they were before. And uh, you know, uh, the Celtic—I'm sorry—the Red Sox were on top of things. They had uh, you know Roger Clemens and Wade Boggs, and and uh, they were they were a dominant team in the, in the American League. So they 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 had a lot of attention coming their way. And then, and the one thing about Boston is, if you're playing well or you're playing poorly, it doesn't matter. They're they're Boston team fans. Uh, they'll come out and boo you, but they'll come out all the time. Right. Not that you would have ever been booed, right? <laughs> Once or twice. Yeah. Well, and the goalie has the toughest job, right? If he makes a mistake, it's in the net. Sometimes the other guys can, can hide a little bit, as you know. Uh, Andy Moog joining us on Inside Sports tonight. Andy, you know, we, we had a great chat uh, last year, and I, I really enjoyed the some of the perspective you had about some of the goalie interference uh, controversy that was going on. So when I saw a couple of stories this week about goalie equipment, I thought you'd be interesting to talk to as well. And obviously they're trying to make the goalie equipment a little more uh, form-fitting. You know, they don't want goalies making saves just because of the size of their equipment. Uh, now, Brian Elliott from the Flyers has uh, come out and said he sent a couple of emails to the league. And uh, one of the quotes was, I'm getting bruised like crazy on my arms. I think that's the biggest issue. They take away padding in the arms. Uh, as a former goaltender who probably didn't wear quite the bulk of equipment <laughs> that the guys are now, yeah. uh, what, what are you hearing there from, from Elliot and some other guys? Well, first off, I don't think any NHL alumni goaltender is going to give much sympathy to a guy complaining about bruises on our arms. That was the least of our problems in terms of bruises. But, uh, you know, the league is making an attempt here. They're, they're, they're in earnest. They're trying to contour the equipment to the body. So the, uh, the shoulder floaters have become a little narrower and contoured around the top of the shoulders. Uh, the elbow pads have been trimmed and are a little narrower, but, but at no point are they, are they in a, in a situation where they're exposing or causing the player to have any significant injury. Bruises are part of the game. That's just the way it goes. And I don't think he's going to get much sympathy with that complaint. No, probably not. Probably not from a, a lot of fans either. Uh, you know, when you look at how, how the equipment evolved for you both playing and then seeing it as an observer was, was there a certain point or maybe a certain type of gear or padding where you started to think, okay, well, wait a minute. I don't, I, you know, that, I don't know if that's protecting. I think that's just there to help cover up some holes on the goalie. Yeah. I, th- I think the area for me that initiated some of this, uh, some of this concern about, about oversizing or, or, more more uh, motivated by covering space versus protecting goalie was the knee area, and uh, there has been some re- revisions in that area. Uh, players, player goaltenders that leave the ice now are protected in that area, but they don't have the bulk 
or the extra equipment that was provided, uh, say, a decade or 15 years ago. There was a there was a, a goaltenders that could seal the ice without any stick in place. They didn't need to protect five with their stick. They could seal the ice without their stick. And uh, to some extent, that's been rectified. You do need to have a little better stick position. But uh, uh, that was the area that I would be concerned with. Because getting getting injured, getting hit in the knees, that can cause significant damage. That's sort of the base of the foundation of of, uh, of an athlete, and uh, so they they worked hard to protect the area there. But um, uh, you know, I, I just think that that uh, the the goaltenders need to stand up more now because of smaller, more contoured shoulder pads is is creating the opportunity for shooters. Goaltenders have to stay on their feet longer now for fear that when they do leave the ice, they're not as bulky and big with their arm and chest as they used to be. And I think that's a positive thing for the game. Goaltenders have to stay on their feet. That exposes areas down below the scoring. And uh, you know it, it creates scenarios where where there is some where is some openings. I don't I don't necessarily think it's automatically up top scoring up top. I think that if goaltenders realize they have less bulk above their waist, they may stay on their feet longer, and that might create openings down below. Well, that's well said, and I mean, certainly the progression from, you know, we go back to when the Oilers came in the league. I mean, how many pure butterfly goalies would have there been in the 80s? Like, I guess Waugh maybe kind of adopted that, but I I don't think there were were many when, when the Oilers were in their prime. Yeah, I you know I get I get a little frustrated at times when I hear this butterfly goalie description. Um, I, butterfly is a save technique. It's a it's a manner of stopping the puck. It's a tool you can use to stop a puck. Everybody's on their feet. Everybody has to stand up at some point. Some goaltenders play with a very wide stance. Some others play with a very narrow stance. So you've got a wide stance goalie or a narrow stance goalie. But everybody employs some version or some form of butterfly. So you know. The guys that really initiated, whether it was Glenn Hall or Tony Esposito, that really modified and, and, and initiated this butterfly save technique, those are, those are the true developers or innovators of a save technique. Uh, we've all just modified it over the years, but ultimately you're a wide stance goalie or you're a narrow stance goalie, and a, and a butterfly is a, a form of the save that you use uh, in certain situations. So um, uh, the innovators for me would have been Hall and Esposito for sure. Okay, well said. Well, Andy, great perspective as always. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, if and how, I suppose the, uh, the the pads affect goal scoring this season. But it's always great to get your thoughts on this, Andy. I know Oilers fans love hearing from you. Hope life is going well. Thanks for your time tonight. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. Good stuff. That is Andy Moog checking in tonight. Of course, uh, primarily remembered for his days with the Edmonton Oilers and the Boston Bruins. Also played, uh, what, Dallas and Montreal in his long NHL career. So he said, you're not going to get any sympathy from uh, from me about these goaltenders saying they're not wearing enough equipment. Brian Elliott in the interview for the Philadelphia Flyers said he's uh, getting more bruising on his arms because of some of the changes to the to the shoulder pads. But you heard Andy say it there. This this could mean the goalies are going to have to stay on their feet a little longer. And I, I asked him about that butterfly style, and, and he feels butterfly is not really a style. It's one method of stopping the puck. He said really goalies are either wide stance or narrow stance goalies, and butterfly is one thing that they use to try to stop the puck. Uh, you know, 
obviously we'll uh, we'll watch Cam Talbot. He didn't have a great game coming off a tough season for the Edmonton Oilers. They're going to need him to be a, a lot better if the Oilers are going to get back into the playoffs. And, and I think, you know, last year Talbot got beat up high from sharp angles a lot when he wasn't playing well because I think because he was down early. And, uh, you know, I think what I'm hearing from Andy there is that a confident goalie is is one that stays on his feet for as long as possible and doesn't feel that he has to be moving along the ice uh, more than he has to be. So there's something to keep an eye on, too. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Pleasure to have you tuning in tonight. Flyers lead the Senators 5-3, five minutes into the third period. Capitals up 2-1 on the Golden Knights through 40 minutes. Ovechkin has his third. Still coming up, Arizona at Anaheim. That's it for your NHL action this evening. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. We have John on our open line. John, thanks for calling. Hey, another great uh, show, Reed. Enjoyed those guests a lot. Uh, and, and you know what? I really enjoyed the coach's show last night because every once in a while, Jason Moss kind of lets things go and he describes the kind of problems that the team is having. And I just thought it was really interesting to hear him talk about that when you run your pass pattern, where you make the cut, how many yards to go to make the cut. And then he he said a couple of funny things. He said, just catch the darn ball. Stop deflecting the pass in the air if you can't catch it. And that's been part of his emphasis really all year on ball security. And that was something he was just very, very disappointed in last night. So I really enjoyed that show a lot. Um, you know what? The receivers just have to be better. And one of the things he said that surprised me was he, they just need to spend more time with Riley before and after practice to work on those routes. And I just think that's kind of unusual for a coach to say. But the reason I called tonight is because several weeks ago on the coach's show, he made a comment that, that made me feel actually quite embarrassed and feeling bad because he said, you know, uh, I don't understand. We have Connor McDavid with the others, who is all world, and we have Mike Riley, the most valuable player in the league, why aren't the Eskimo fans coming out in droves to see and support Mike Riley? And I just thought that was something that is really amazing that you don't usually hear from a coach. Uh, It was almost kind of trying to increase the attendance at the game. So the real reason I called to read was, uh, you know, we have a, a most valuable player he didn't overnight become, you know, just chopped liver. And so um, I'm asking every one of your 14,000 listeners, Reed, to be there on Saturday and to bring two or three really loud friends and let's get some positive energy going and support the team and support Mike Riley. Thanks, John. No problem. Thanks, Reed. That is John at 7804960063. I thought that was interesting, Moss, last night explaining receivers running their patterns. That if you run a 14 yard pattern, 
you're running it 14 yards, not 17, so Riley knows where you're going to be, knows the timing of the play. If you're running a corner, does Riley know whether you're going to run it with a sharp angle or uh, you know maybe a, less of an angle so he knows you know going high or low so he knows where to put the ball and, and where you can be. And I, I find stuff like that very interesting because a lot of times we talk about, well, you know, especially this year, we've been criticizing the play calling a lot. Is Moss calling, you know, plays that are going to work and will keep the, the defense off balance? And I do think, I stand by this, that that should be something that, that should be criticized and, and looked into because Riley's getting blitzed a lot, and I think it's up to the coach to figure out a way to counteract that. But, yeah, sometimes there are details to the play where is the player executing the play as it's designed? Is he going to where he expects, where his quarterback expects him to be? Now, still, it falls on the coach to make sure that those details are being carried out and there are consequences if there aren't. But that's a, a, a little bit of insight into all the little things that go, uh, go into a football play for sure. All right, it's 7.55. Here's what's coming up tomorrow on 6.30. Chad Stoffer, of course, has Oilers now from noon to 2. He's in Boston with the team. We finally have a game to bring you. 3.30 for the face-off show. The game will start at 5. Today, Jujar Kara was at center. He's been playing left wing most of his career. He was between Kajula and Puglia-Yarvi. Here's head coach Todd McClellan. Well, he was playing in the middle today. He didn't play in the middle at practice the other day. We're shuffling those guys around. Um, we need more. We need more from our third and fourth lines. They didn't give us much uh, the other day. And uh, it's a four-line league right now, and they have to be uh, they have to be more productive. I'm not just talking about offense. I'm talking about momentum, uh, physicality, defending, um, pace, energy. Uh, we need more from those lines. All right. Yeah, we'll see uh, how those lines shape up tomorrow. Today it was Strom between Reader and Cassian, and Kara was between Kajula and Puliyarvi. All right, everybody, thanks a lot for tuning in. Besides Andy Moog, you heard from Brian Desjardins, Chris Morris, Bob Beers, and Kelly Rudy. Thanks to everybody who called and texted as well. The producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell, and the studio producer this evening, the one and only Kellen Kennedy. My name is Reed Wilkins. Hope you have a great night. I'll talk to you at 3.30 tomorrow afternoon. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.